If you'll turn with me, our first reading today will be in Philippians chapter 2. I'll be reading from the NIV version. Um, And I want to set a bit of a stage behind this. Philippians is unique in the sense that it gives us a good picture. Paul is writing to a, a, a pretty robust, is that a good word? Robust church that's starting to mature and starting to grow, starting to be strengthened inside of Philippi. Uh, it, is, it is, a, is an account uniquely um, geared towards Paul's remembrance of the birth of Jesus Christ. And so it, it has link for us today to kind of come to this text. And there's some things that I hope that we see out of it as we sang, you know, uh, not but I, but Christ through me. Um, or Christ in me, you're going to see this played out again and again because some of the things that you'll see in the text will not be able to, ha- to take shape or take place in our lives if we do not have Christ working in and amongst us throughout Advent. So starting in the first verse, chapter 2, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with, of, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God, a thing to be grasped, But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Have you had a busy week? Yes? Well, this week has been a flurry of activity. And I'm sure that we could all agree that, that the weeks coming up will be more flurry of activity. Um, between the chairs arriving, which you are now sitting on and I hope enjoying, uh, to the calling of, of, of and to clarify dinner reservations for a Christmas Eve service for me personally, to having conversations with those who uh, are in need this Christmas season, whether it's the school calling requesting assistance for a family being evicted, or Muslim friends thrilled that the church would be interested in helping them at Christmas, to signing cards, you name it, your list will be different than mine. But the season is still filled with activity. And these activities only highlight something is coming. And something has come. And someone is here to be worshipped. The Christmas story is one of those places, as we have often said to one another, it's, it's helpful for us to read the story from back to front a bit. Um, the gospel in light of the epistles, so to speak. Um, but as we understand the gospels, as Jesus revealed the Emmanuel that we sing about Uh, We read the gospel records, and there we have in a manger, and we've sung of this, a boy. A boy sometimes presented at a temple. Sometimes he's inside of Bethlehem. 
And other times we see him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we turn to the book of Acts and we see this interesting thing that the Bible says there's no salvation in anyone else. And I think when we sing out that truth today, tomorrow, the next day, next week, maybe next week, when, two weeks when we, we have Shoni uh, leading us in, the, in, those, in those carols, we realize something, that Jesus himself entered our world to give us an understanding of how the world should be. And I think it's interesting that last week we sang Emmanuel uh, in a cappella, and we lit the Advent wreath, and, and, and we went through all the various things that you do at Advent. Why? Because the story matters. The story touches our lives. And we recognize that we're particulars of the story. In one sense, albeit a narrow and incomplete sense, um, I'm seeking a Christmas which changes the atmosphere in my own life. And to do this, I'm going to have to push quite hard through the noise, through the busyness, through the expectations. And I'm going to have to see that deep down, some of the things that I go after at Christmas time, although good, are a bit trivial. When I was a child, I loved candy canes. How many of you love candy canes? How many of you are like, still, you would love a candy cane on your tree, right? And I can remember, I can remember when my mother and my father and my sister and I would, she would bring home the box of candy canes. And um, we would put them on the tree with all the tinsel and, and um, they used to have wrappers on them. They still do have wrappers on them. But do you remember, do you, do you put them on the tree with wrappers or do you take the wrappers off? You can shout it out now off, right? Because you want the peppermint smell. You want that. Um, you put on the ornaments, but you could only put on these uh, candy canes after the ornaments had gone, after the delight uh, of the sugary peppermint was, was all over your hands because you took off the wrapper. And I can, I can still vividly remember my sister over there like you know, licking her hands. I mean, the, I was sitting there thinking about all these Christmases, and, and I remember the same thing with my own children, you know. And, you know, some of, our, some of us don't like sticky things on our hands. How many of you don't like sticky things? Yes. And so it was much more of a problem than it was a joy. But still, there are sugary things in our lives. And I will say this, that oftentimes the things that we pursue or the things that become the most important during Christmas leave us feeling a bit bloated, a little disappointed in the end. Because after the candy cane sat there on the tree for a long time, it tasted a lot more like a tree than it did the actual candy. So I suggest to you that if we're going to make progress in this reward, um, we, we, we need to continually, every day throughout Advent, every day on the run-up to Christmas, retool our mind. Why? To keep Jesus in the right perspective. Amen? In his book, One True Gift, Tim Chester writes this, most people have a Christmas card version of Jesus. Have you noticed that? I noticed that when I was buying cards in the Christmas section. And it's in this that it only 
says, hey, everything's wonderful. Everything is good. And it makes us feel wonderful about ourselves that everything is good. But let me say to you, after the phone calls I had this last week, not everything is good for everyone. Amen? And we recognize that, that God maybe put us into this position so that we can be who God called us to be as a church at Advent. And if we're united in a message, see, Philippians chapter 2 tackles this, this reality of Jesus' Christmas and how we're to respond, maybe the how, if you will, we live up to the standard that Jesus kind of lays out in, his, in our lives as we pursue him. So still, not I, but Christ working in me. And we see this very clearly in Philippians 2, that there is a united message, the message of Christmas. It has to be consistent. And, and why? Because we are called by Philippians to be in one mind. Not many minds. You'll, you'll recall last week I mentioned the word Advent and Christmas are quite loaded words, aren't they? So if I were to ask every single person, one of us, what Christmas means to you, we would have a different answer from every single person. And I believe that these admonitions that Paul is saying in Philippians will help us a bit through Advent. And so the first thing I want to draw your attention to in the scriptures is this. He says this, complete my joy. We lit the Advent candle of joy today. Joy and peace. Complete my joy, what? Being of the same mind. If I were to ask you the message of Christmas, would we all come up with the same message? That it's about the birth of Jesus Christ, that he came to earth to save us from our sin. So that we do cry out like the angels, glory to to God in the highest, goodwill on men on whom, what, peace and favor rest. Is that the message that we would come up with? But he says this, complete my mind, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full accord in one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to the interests of himself, but also to the interests of others. First of all, we see one mind in this message, but we also see how selfishness can destroy the understanding of Christmas. First, in our, what, ambition. Let me, let me say honestly that, that this will be a great Christmas. How many of you know that? This is going to be a great Christmas. But not all of your plans are going to happen the way you think they're going to happen. Amen? Nobody said amen. Everybody went, amen. Oh, you know. Why? Because the Greek says this. Uh, it uses the word erethea. For, for the, the concept of ambition. And it literally means rivalry. The moment you really want to cut the cue as the person on the side fiddles with their wallet to, or fiddles with their purse to get their wallet, but you think, I can get through right now. You ever had that one? That was my experience this week. I'm, I'm proving to you that I'm just such a sinful person because I was going to cut the cue. While, while the woman fiddled with her purse. Why? Because I am what? Busy. Some of you guys are yelling other things. Please, I don't want to hear. The moment you really want to cut the queue, or maybe it's the neighbor's lights this year, rivalry. But they're not even Christian and they got more lights than I do. 
Or maybe it's the mutter under our breath instead of crying it out, right? And so you end up finding yourself over at the range buying lights and <laughs> putting them out. Why? Uh, Got to keep up with him. Got to keep up with the Joneses. And if you're Jones, please forgive me. Why? Why do we do this? Why? Well, why is selfishness a natural byproduct of the human condition? Well, it is. And here's why. Because we live in a materialistic world. And thankfully, I'm not a materialistic girl. You see, the way in which we overcome ourselves is in the second half of this verse. See, Paul's very clear on this, right? In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We're, we're a church that's called to be true to Christ, kind to all people, and take the gospel to the nations. And if you will please remember that we, we talked about hospitality in last sermons that we've done when we talked about those three key things. Hospitality is the instance by which you set your priorities above and beyond your own. And the Bible has a ton to talk about hospitality. But it's interesting that hospitality says this, when you, when you are called in humility to count others more significant, that you not only look to your own interests, in Greek it's literally to contemplate what's going on in the lives of other people. That's what the, that's what the implication is. Why? Because how we live, the decisions we make, our actions actually affect the outcome of those around us. So how we respond to those situations around us, whether it's a neighbor's in need, or whether it's frantically you know, buying a gift for someone, when you, when you really think, oh, does that person, the Holy Spirit has said to you, I need to get that for that specific person. And then you respond to that. You know, this week we, we, have, we have been online frantically purchasing gifts. Why? So that the outcome is good, right? The gifts arrive by what date? Christmas. Why? Because we're setting in motion the thought about other people so that it might arrive. Time enough to wrap them. Get them sorted and put under the tree. It's how you believe in the interest of others. But hospitality has wider implications. It's a broader topic than just individual to individual. Society, too, lives under the constraint of hospitality, disregarded. Today's headline, anybody read The Scotsman? I read The Scotsman sometimes, um, probably because I'm American. Um, but... Uh, Today, the headline in the Scotsman, bankruptcy warnings as hospitality business, businesses face Christmas party cancellations. Why? There's a lot of businesses that depend on what? Hospitality. Serving others. Setting themselves aside so that others might have. And because we live in fear sometimes of self-examining ourselves. And the, and the fear, this fear has repercussions. Even the way in which we engage in hospitality or to contemplate others on a macro level has implications for those living out their daily lives. There will be people who will not have enough to eat this Christmas. Why? Because they will not be able to sustain their businesses. Do you know of anybody like that? 
And that will have a knock-on effect on the family, on the neighborhoods. And And the reality for the church is that we have a word that says to us, overcome your own selfish ambition. Okay, well, how do we do this? How do we engage in hospitality and thinking of others? Well, uh, you, you, you think more of yourself, you think on Christ. Less of you, more of Christ. That's, that's how we do this. And I'll tell you this, um, this is how we live in unity too. When we keep our eyes as Christians steadfast together on Jesus, notice he initially says, have the same mind. Now he says, have this mind among yourselves in the second half. Have this mind among yourselves. So not only are you to have this mind in unity, but you're supposed to be talking about this among yourselves. And there has to be a transition from self-centeredness with which we struggle, if we're honest, to the other-centeredness, having this mind in yourself. Uh, it's, it's, It's called proneo in Greek, literally meaning, I think, I judge, I direct my mind to, I seek for, Uh, I observe, I care for. We're also told that this ability is not our own, right? We we talked about that. It's given to us by God. God gives us the ability in the power of his Holy Spirit to actually overcome our own selfish ambition. So when we lean into him, we have the ability to set ourselves aside. And we do this based on our observation, maybe of the situation, or based on, hopefully on a care for. And I want to share a story. On Wednesday, it was cold outside. How many of you remember Wednesday? It was kind of cold, pretty brutal. Uh, Paul, Allen, uh, Paul and Alan were leaving for the SU group. Uh, Simon and I were going to get some things done in the office. And then Paul comes running back inside with Paul's big smile, as Paul has a huge smile. And he goes, yeah, there's a man out there. He's calling for you. You know, I can't even do his accent, but it's so good. And, 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 he's like, and, and I'm like, all right. And to be fair, and if I was really honest with you, I didn't want to go outside. Um, I, I was busy. I knew that we had things to do. Uh, so, so in my own heart, just for a brief second, I didn't, I didn't let it out to anybody else, but I had this selfish ambition kicking in. Ever had that before? All right, and it's kicking in, and then I saw the lad outside. So I went outside, and I saw the lad outside. And um, because it was cold, I invited him inside. And um, Simon and I had the, the luxury of just chatting with him for an hour. All the while, you know, I'm, I'm having this conversation in my head with the Lord. And the Lord's saying to me, you, you, know, you know why he's here, Nathan. I brought him here. You know why he's here. And... Um, and you know, it was just a wonderful time for us, and it, it caused me to have to remember, I have to judge properly these situations because I've got to set myself aside for the sake of what? Others. It's not always easy, but it's the mind of Christ. And it's, it was a beautiful thing because in the end, we got to pray for him. And he was there because he needed Jesus. Is there any other better thing for Christmas? Isn't it the real reason for the season that we're here for? And, and you could miss it by being so busy or maybe even being so self-centered. And I'm speaking to myself. 
Paul tells us that Jesus came to, to be a babe in the manger, and he's got the incarnated power to change our lives. And he tells us to empty ourselves, literally pour yourself out for others. But then in Philippians 2.6, he said that though he was in the form of God, and this is the example of Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God to be grasped. God had everything going for him in heaven. He didn't have to come. He had, he had worship and angels and continually they would fall down at the throne of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And they would just over and over worship the Lord. And, and that was right where Christ sat. And what did he do? He didn't count it a quality. He, he set himself aside in an example to us, what? Taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There is no separation between Bethlehem and Jerusalem in this. I talked about this last week, that five-mile distance is the beginning and the end of, of a human life. But it's all where it started, and it's all where it gets accomplished. And so when Paul's reflecting back on this in Philippians chapter 2, he doesn't make a distinction as though, well, this is the church calendar season of the year, and this is the church calendar season of the year. No, he recognizes that the birth and the death of Christ are the meaning of God coming. They go hand in hand. This is where Advent concludes. The babe hangs on a tree. The star, long gone. The shepherds in the field, they're still probably there, but working. The angels doing a different type of announcement. Mary at the foot of the cross. No longer in and in. Joseph, long since been departed and gone to heaven. His brothers and sisters, nowhere to be found. It's a different configuration of wood this time. No longer is it, a, is it a manger, but now it is a cross. And these analogies are important for us this Christmas. Why? Because God has exalted Jesus and bestowed upon him the name, Anoma, a name with authority that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to God the Father, to the glory of God the Father. Every tongue confess, agrees, consents, admits, acknowledges, agrees out loud. That's, that's the context. There's no realm in this society now where Jesus is not. He is the God of heaven above the sky. He is the God of Terah. He is the God of the earth. And from the highest mountain to the lowest sea, he is everywhere in between. Even to the depth of hell itself, his name is acknowledged and exalted. I, uh, I've been spending a bit of time in my own personal reflection, delving back to some of the more traditional Christmas carols. How many of you like, we love Christmas carols, huh? But there's so many Christmas carols I didn't even really know. Um, and so I've been, I've been doing a little bit of a study, and one of those that particularly reminds me of the sacrifice Christ made in his coming was written by a lady named Mary McDonald. We have a Mary McDonald. 
Um, I don't think she's here today, but it's a common name in Scotland, isn't it? Um, and, and we have, you know, like I said, we've had our own very own Mary McDonald, and, and Mary and I, um, but that's not the one I want to talk about. I want to talk about the one that lived in the 19th century. She's a native Gaelic speaker, and she wrote in Gaelic. And her poetry and her songs, um, she would write while she was living on a farm with her father. And um, we know from history that actually her real name was Mary McDougall. That was her pre, pre-married name. And like our Mary, um, who attends here, she married into the McDonald clan, uh, from which I, I get my name, McConnell. Um, and Mary was born on this tiny croft in Artun, northeast of Benesson, on the Ross of Mull, a peninsula which extends towards the Iona community. And while spinning the wheel, working the land and the sheep, she would settle into the difficult life as a crofter's wife, where she would compose songs and poems to help her through her work. One of the little poems she wrote was translated into English, uh, giving to us our well-known Christmas carol, translated by Lachlan McBean in 1888, Child in a Manger. At the same question, keeps popping into the mind of this minister. What kind of preaching and teaching was this little farm girl, farm daughter, crofter's wife in the highlands, subjected to for her to write the words of this carol? Listen to the words. Child in a manger, infant of Mary, outcast and stranger, Lord of all. He who inherits all our transgressions, All our demerits on him fall. All his merits credit to my account. All my demerits born in his own self. Once the most holy child of salvation, gentle and lowly, lived below. Now our glorious mighty redeemer, see him victorious victorious foe. Her words draw us back to the Christmas account. But they don't stay there. They take us to the understanding that, that, that Simeon said, this child is destined for the rising and the falling away of people or of many, Luke chapter 2. And I, I want to say this, I, I think as I come back to this, uh, if we're going to recognize the season and we're going to set ourselves aside, and I'm preaching to me, I'm not preaching to you right now, if I'm, I'm preaching to me, okay, so... I hope you understand that I need to hear this message for myself continually. Um, if I'm going to set myself aside, which I will struggle to do all Christmas season, I, in farewell and honest. But God seems to move in those places when we do say, I want to be obedient to you, God. He seems to do something. And he does whatever he wants to do in us when we say, here I am, God, I will serve you faithfully and I will be obedient. I had the great privilege of talking to a Muslim man whom I knew. I met him before COVID. Um, and I went, uh, I used to go to his shop and buy baklava uh, for my family. But actually one of my daughters would eat it all. And uh, you know which one that was. Um, maybe a good Christmas present. Um, it, it was nice to be on the phone with him again. He's kind and he's a gentleman. And he, he, I'd asked him, I said, is there anything that you need this Christmas? You know, because the refugees, you know, that come into the country, those who are being resettled and those who have been here, you know, they don't get anything anymore from the government. Maybe they have a house, but that's about it. 
And, and they barely live, I think they were living on five pounds a day in England. Can you live on five pounds a day? And uh, we had this conversation about, about the things that they're struggling to obtain, typically food and things. They never expect more. Um, but you see, you see, their hospitality, their shop was destroyed during COVID. Why? Because it just they had to shut. And they've been struggling ever since. And, and uh, you know, we see the, the media coverage of all the, the refugees just trying to make it here. Why? Because, because it's better here than it is wherever they were kicked out of or displaced from. And uh, my friend, whose name I'll keep silent for the sake of anonymity, um, you know, was gracious enough to call a local halal shop because they eat halal. And he said, uh, could you give a discount to, to my minister friend <laughs> in the church? And so they said, yeah, of course we will. And this, this act of hospitality that God seemed to kind of propel me into without me expecting it. Um, and there's, there's now five or six families. That, they keep coming. Why? Because they recognize, ah, there's someone who cares, who set themselves aside. And I, it got me thinking about um, how we might be the church like the innkeeper at Christmas. Maybe a package of food. Maybe a gift of perfume. Maybe some toys for the children. How can we show love to those running from danger, just like a young couple named Mary and Joseph who were running from danger? Maybe a gift card, maybe some provision. Maybe it's the provision that we kind of saw in the wise men who showed up with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and yet what did they do? They, they premeditatedly got in motion the moment they saw the star. Why? Because the king was coming. But this king was coming like no one they'd ever seen. He was coming as a refugee. He would move from one city to another. No home. Maybe we can move from just providing as a church to blessing. Maybe we can be the hands and feet of Jesus this year in a new way. Why? Because the Bible does say that every tongue will confess and Paul says to us, be of the same mind, be of the same love. So my question to Downfield Mains is this, can we be a church, as Paul said, having that same love? Can we show that interest in others who may be quite different than us who have arrived here for Christmas? And I will say this, because I'm not ignorant of it, it will cost us something. We all have to give in some way. I sat in the car by myself the other day and I said to the Lord, feeling a little stressed, have you ever felt a little stressed and talked in the car to yourself? It is a humbling experience because usually the person in the next car over is going, what is that guy's problem? But I sat there and I said, God, I can't do this. I don't know what to do. Uh, and um, and he said, just go do it. And I'll be there with you. And so I want to ask you, if you would, please continue to give to the Love Thy Neighbors so that we can make sure those families have everything that they need 
in the local community, but also that we can create these refugee packages. Um, so that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus because we worship a boy whose name is Salvation and who called us to be the vehicle of salvation this Christmas. As we sit in this space between the first coming and the second coming. So if you, if you are interested in blessing, please see Kev. Kev, I see you over there. Um, and let's have the same mind and the same heart. Amen? Can we do that? Um, let's pray together. Father, you say in the, in the book of Isaiah that we are to consider those who are running from the killing fields. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand that you have given us everything we need in, in godliness in Christ, to be the hands and feet, to put, a self, put aside selfish ambition, God. Would you help us to do this? Would you help me to do this? Would you give us peace, Lord, as we worship you this, this Advent season? And God, would you allow us uncontainable joy, uncontainable uh, resource, Lord, so that your name and your renown would be the glory of our heart and our mind. It would be the, the thing that we talk about all the time this Advent season. And Father, I thank you that you opened doors. And I pray for that young lad who came in to our church and, and heard the love of, of Christ. I pray, Father, for him. I pray for the, these, these families, Lord, that we can just bless and, and, and encourage and, and that they'll know, Lord, that somebody cares about them this Christmas. That even though when they're in a foreign land and in, a, in the midst of foreign people, God, your love can break through. And so, Lord, we, we lift this text to us. And, Lord, we ask that you again would allow us unity. And, Father, that we would know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. And we would share it. In Jesus' name.